0: Welcome to Infuse Church Online. My name is Taylor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Infuse. Question for you. Do you feel like you're good at setting healthy boundaries in your life? If you hesitated or just said no, which is honestly probably most of our answers, then you need to stick around for today's message. We're glad you're here. So today we're at the end of our series, uh, Bad Blood. Um, If you're just joining us today, uh, the end of a series is kind of like the end of a movie. Um, And it's not that today won't be helpful and practical and understandable. It's just that there's a lot that we've talked about so far. And so if you want to go back, watch, rewatch, you think today or something in this series has been really helpful, you need to send it to someone. You can absolutely do that. Just have them download our app or go to our website under the Messages tab. um, And you can just send them a link. Um, Maybe just, like, email it to them. Don't say anything else. Just be like... Maybe in the subject line, you need this, and then send it to them and see what happens. Maybe it'll be helpful. Um, Just kidding. That'll probably create bad blood. Anyways, um, so we all have bad blood. That's the thing we've been talking about, Um, the small moments in life that are kind of not so great, and then we have the big relationship-wrecking bad blood, and and that's where we spent a lot of the time so far. Today, we're going to talk about kind of a different type of bad blood, Um, but the whole goal of this series um, is from the words of the Apostle Paul, who is this guy who knew a lot about bad blood because he had it in his life and he said if it is possible despite bad blood in our lives as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone because nobody wants bad blood and ideally we all want to live in peace. Now before we get too far into today I would just like you to think about the bad blood in your life. And maybe it's kind of more of the uh, smaller bad blood, the things that aren't like relationship enders, not the things that just like everything's blown up. Maybe it was something this week that happened. It's a small something that happened that just kind of, you know, just enough of a little bit of a bad blood. Maybe it was on the car right here. Somebody said something that just kind of really set you off and just created a little bit of bad blood, something like that. To put this in emoji terms, because some of us are really familiar with these these days, um, it's the, the type of bad blood that's somewhere between this face, which is, I don't even know, like crying, happy, so glad, and this face, which is not. Okay? Um, it's the, the type of, of bad blood that sits somewhere in here that, that it certainly brings a little bit of bitterness to your life, a, a little bit of resentment to your life, but it's not explosive, at least yet. It's the type of bad blood where you say, ah, oh, not again, or why did you say that again? Why does this keep coming up? It's the kind of bad blood that that kind of finds itself coming into our life over and over and over again, over months, maybe even years, and it just is bothersome. Now, I realize for most of you, uh, especially you Christians, you would not say, you would not find yourself, you would say, this is not me, I have never gotten to this point in my life because I am a good, good Christian person, right? And so you would say, really, my life just bounces between this face and like the angel emoji face, okay? (laughs) And to which I would say, you might be lying, okay? Because truly, Even if you don't externally get to the super angry, um, bleeping face, um, you might internally get to that place in your life. You might be the person that has a pretty good filter, But internally, this may represent a little bit closer to how you feel. And regardless of if it comes out or not, there has been some bad blood created between you and somebody else, and you certainly have kind of internalized it into your life. And this can happen all the time. Maybe you have a boss. Um, Some of us have, have worked for bosses like this where they ask you to stay late all the time. Maybe they give you a big project, maybe more than you actually have bandwidth to actually get done. Maybe they've asked you at some point in your career to do what you kind of feel like is their job. And that's just kind of frustrating, isn't it? Or, or your spouse, um, you, you say to your spouse all the time, I'd like to be on time, but it just doesn't happen. And it's frustrating. And it hasn't worked and fi- it hasn't fixed anything. Nothing's changed for like the last decade. Or maybe you have parents who kind of guilt you a little bit, you know. They just say that, well, we haven't seen the grandkids in a long time, and boy, we just love them. And you're like, well, what about me? But then, then you kind of get what they're getting at, right? They kind of guilt you a little bit. Or maybe you have a friendship that's a little bit more one-sided, that it's not so relational. It's just kind of just you, and you kind of have to do all of it. Or maybe you have kids, and, and your kids just kind of constantly need bailed out again and again and again, and you're like, what is the problem? and it's frustrating, and it builds inside of you. You may not be here yet, but you're getting there because it builds bitterness. It builds resentment. Slowly, over time, drip, 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 drops of bad blood over time, and it's so frustrating, isn't it? That people, could you believe it, that people would treat you that way? That you would tell them, I don't like that, but they still keep doing it over and over again. So now, with that in mind, with that kind of bad blood in mind, I just want to ask you a question. I want you to try your best to resist the temptation to get defensive, because I think some of us may tend to like, get a little defensive when we're thinking about our bad blood, and then this question. But I think it's a really important question, especially with where we're going today. How much, how much bad blood have you enabled? How much bad blood in your life have you allowed to continue? You know you know that kind of bad blood, that, that reoccurring behavior that you're kind of sitting there thinking to yourself in those moments like, do I have something to do with this? Could, could I do something differently? And you kind of feel like there's just this small little nudge in your heart, in your conscience that says, I think I'm supposed to do something. I'm not sure what, but I feel like I need to say something, do something to stop enabling this bad behavior, that that there could be bad behavior, bad blood that could be prevented. I'm guessing for most of us, if we ask ourselves how much bad blood have we enabled, have you enabled, most of us, for most of us, it's more than we think. It's more than you think, it's more than I think. We actually enable a lot of our own bad blood. We we sit there and we say, well, it's not my fault. It's not my responsibility. They just make decisions and say things that are just negative and bring me down. They affect me negatively. But the Apostle Paul would probably jump in in that middle of that internal argument and, and probably say something along the lines of, like, sure, that's true. It's negatively affecting you until you stop letting it affect you. Because remember the words of a Paul the words of Paul were, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, I think there's a lot of preventative bad blood in our lives out there in our relationships than we realize because, and this is the problem, because we don't know how to set healthy boundaries. We don't know how to, in a healthy way, say, I can't, I won't. That's not okay. I am going to walk away now. Most of us in this day and age, especially with technology, we resort to the unhealthy boundaries, the unhealthy alternatives to a healthy boundary, which is I just ignore it. I don't respond to the text message. I pretend I forgot it or I didn't get it. Or you ignore the phone call. You don't respond to the phone call. You say yes, but you really didn't mean yes. And you probably won't follow through, or you do follow through, but you kind of do it half-heartedly because you really wanted to say no in the first place, but you didn't, so now you're kind of committed, and so you at least have enough respect for them and yourself to actually get at least half of it done, but it wouldn't, really wasn't like a full follow-through. And then at the end of the whole experience, you just kind of feel a little resentful about the whole thing. The problem is we enable bad blood in our own lives. Now, to give you an example, or at least an analogy to help you think about this, I l- I'd like you to identify the object in the picture that I'm about to show you. What is this? It's a front door. Exactly. The front row. Nobody else, really. The front row. You guys got it. Okay, this is a front door, okay? Now, curiosity, and you guys don't seem very participatory today, so this is just the one question I ask you to participate in, okay? How many of you have a front door on your home? Okay, thank you. Some of you still don't believe you have a front door in your home. That's fine, okay? I just asked just one question, but that's fine. That's fine, okay? Why do you have a front door in your home? To get get in, yeah, to keep people out, right? What is a front door? It's a boundary. It says, this is where my home begins and where you should stay until I open it right? Imagine going home tonight. Just challenge you to do this if, if you don't, can't internally get where I'm going with this, okay? If you went home today and you took your front door off and you took, if you have another, you know, storm door or something like that, you have no door on your house. Just take it off. And then I just want you to think to yourself and maybe even ask your spouse tonight before you go to bed, just think to yourself, how do I feel going to sleep without a front door? Some of you feel, okay, bear with me. I'm going to get to that, Okay, <laughs> Right, most of us would go to sleep thinking, well, I feel a little vulnerable. I don't, I don't feel as secure without it. Whereas, if you went to sleep tonight and then you put that back, the door back on, you would probably feel like a little bit safer. What did we talk about last week if you were here? We talked about in a conversation creating what? Safety. Safety first. Otherwise, you're not going to get very far. Do you think there's a tie-in between boundaries and having healthy conversations? Absolutely. Some of you would even go so far as to say, you know what, Taylor, having a a door on my house and even a lock on my door gives me peace of mind, get, get that, peace of mind at night when I go to sleep for me and my family to have a door. Why? Reminder, peace is the goal. Why? It's because you have a boundary. You've said, This is where my home begins. Without my permission, you will not go past it. Now, question Who installs the front door? Who needs to install the front door? You do. You are ultimately responsible for installing the door and making sure it's functional. Not someone else. You're not trying to protect someone else's house. This is you protecting your house. You remember the bitterness and resentment we were just talking about, the bad blood? So much of that bad blood becomes, it comes from the fact that you have not created healthy doors in your life, and people are just coming in and stealing from you. Just straight up, they're stealing from you. And who, in their right mind, likes to be stolen from? Nobody. It's just frustrating. So many of you go on Facebook, oh my gosh, I was here, and they broke into my car, and all this stuff. It's frustrating when someone steals something from you. But imagine you not having a front door. Someone comes in and steals something. You call 911. The cop shows up. You're standing on your sidewalk looking at your house with the police officer. And you're like, yeah, can you believe it, officer? They broke into my house and stole something. I don't want to assume what's going to be said, but I'm going to go on a limb and say, that officer is going to look you in the eyes for a long time. And they're probably going to say very slowly because they're not sure you're all happening right now and say, well, it's probably because... You don't have a door in the front of your home. And then you can go and tell your friends and you can say, oh my gosh, can you believe it? They took advantage of me. They stole stuff from me. And I bet you your friends, they may not have told you this yet, but they're looking at you and inside they're thinking, well, honey, it's probably because you don't have a door on your house. And that's how so many of us have relationships with others without any doors, on our life. And I just want you to know, because some of you are like, oh yeah, but Taylor, it's mean to shut the door, and you know, and I don't, I feel uncomfortable setting boundaries and all that. I just want you to know, people steal a lot less from homes with front doors than they do with homes that are wide open. And then you want to know something even crazier? You can open this. Do you know that? I know. Yeah, you can open the door at certain times, and you can close it, at others, Then you can get even wilder. You know this? You can actually get different kinds of doors. I know this is wild. This is a screen door. <laughs> a screen door allows you to let fresh air in and keep bugs out. And some of y'all have a lot of bugs sucking your blood in your life. And I just want you to know the reason is, is because you don't have a screen door. So the point is you need to get a screen door, okay? Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Now, this door, this door analogy comes from um, or will actually help you understand the, the little passage of, of Scripture that we're going to look at today from the Apostle Paul. The same guy who wrote about peace, that guy, had a, uh, let's say, rated R+. plus. Okay? like, super rated R uh, situation going on in one of the churches that he started, the church in, in Corinth, and Paul wrote a lot of letters. He actually, we think he wrote, like, four letters to the church in Corinth. We only have two letters. I don't know what happened to the other. Somebody lost it, regardless, okay, but we have two of those letters, and in First Corinthians, Paul talks about and, and deals with this issue going on in the church in Corinth, okay, and so this, we're about to get in just, like, for a brief moment into some R-rated territory, so if kids are here, just kind of maybe like shut their ears or something. I don't know, distract them, all right? Okay, but I want to go through this because it is a fantastic example for how to set healthy boundaries and to give you a broader understanding of God-loving, Jesus-following boundaries in people's Life and how you can set them, okay? So in 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 5, here's the situation that's going on. Paul says, It's actually reported, I've heard through the grapevine, that there is sexual immorality among you. And it is the kind, mind you, it is the kind that is not even found among pagans, okay? I just want you to know how bad this is. The pagan people are even looking at you, the Christians, and saying, Whoa! we don't even do that. They do. What is that Jesus following thing about? In other words, this is really bad. Why is it bad? For a man is living with his father's wife. Okay, probably not his mom. It's probably like his stepmom, but regardless, I hope we can all agree that this is just like not good. Okay, this is bad. Okay, I hope, I hope we agree on that, okay? Now, it is tempting to think, because if this was you and maybe you had to, like, address this issue, it's tempting to think that Paul's going to jump in here and just be like, shame on you, church in Corinth, shame on you for not setting bounty." blah, 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 blah. And I love it. He doesn't go there yet. He goes somewhere so much more brilliant, smarter, than you and I would probably even consider. I mean, it's just so good. This is why you need to read the Bible. Here's, here's what he says right off the bat. He just hits the nail on the head. He says... And you're, and you, and you are arrogant. Typo. And you are arrogant. Minus the R. Okay. You are arrogant. I love that. You're arrogant. And we say, what? Why are we arrogant, Paul? How are they arrogant? Because Paul's saying, you give yourself way too much credit. You have too much pride. You have too much arrogance going on in your life because you think you can control the situation. You think that despite what's happening, you got it all under control. You'll be fine. You'll get it sorted out. You'll fix them. You'll fix her. You'll fix him. And you'll just be able to just make it happen. You can live your life with no door. And you can sit there and say, you know what? I will never be caught off guard. I will always be able to fight off every intruder that comes into my home, even if I'm not there which that doesn't make sense, but some of us think in that mentality that we're, we just, we're good. I mean, we got it, you know? No, no, no. Paul's like, that's dumb. That's arrogant. Get a door. Get a door into your life because you will not always be able to see it coming. You will not always be able to be there. You can get the fanciest security system in the world, but if someone wants to get into your house, I just wanted to let you know, they probably will. They may not get far. They may not get much. But they will get in. Instead, Paul says, instead of being arrogant, should you not rather have mourned? Should you not rather have mourned? Which we again say, huh? Why are we mourning, Paul? Because you should be sad. You should be grieved. You should be heartbroken and disappointed when someone does something that is bad. When someone crosses a boundary that has been established, if you know that this is a boundary and you have created a boundary, you should be sad. But the problem is the church in Corinth hadn't set it as a boundary. So they weren't sad. They were like, we got it under control. And Paul's like, no, you should be sad that this is happening. You should mourn that it is happening. They made the decision to misbehave. Question, who is responsible for the consequences of their behavior. Now, you may be tempted to say, well, I'm, I'm responsible. We are, you know, we're Christians. We're here to help, you know, come in there and like give them a big hug and say it's all going to be okay and all that stuff. And Paul said, no, no, no. That time has come and gone. This is front door time. This is they have to be responsible time. This is, I'm going to sit down and kindly communicate, because I probably already have at this point, up until this point, and said, this is not acceptable behavior, and just shut the door. And just like Paul, just like Paul, you need to remove them from your life via the boundary. Paul said, um, uh, arrogant, should you not rather have mourned so that he who has done this would have been removed from among you. Ah, but, but, but Taylor, it just feels so harsh. Paul, it's so harsh. Listen, has anyone ever come up to you and said, I'm just kind of offended, and I feel like it's a little harsh for you to have a front door in your house? No, nobody's ever said that. That'd just be weird. Why? Because it is socially acceptable to have that kind of boundary. But the problem is, in our day and age, it is becoming less and less acceptable to set, really, any boundaries at all. We need to be working 24 hours a day. We need to have the phone and be accessible 24 hours a day. And that's just the world that we live in. And so for someone to set a boundary is just kind of, well, it's countercultural. It's odd. We live in that demanding world, no boundaries. And so we have to be aware. We have to be wise and we have to be kind when we install them. But install those boundaries, we must. Paul passes judgment, he says, as the story goes on. For though I am absent, he's gone, I'm not there in body, I am present in spirit. and And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the man who has done this terrible, pagans don't even do it, kind of a thing. When you assemble, he goes on, when you assemble, when you all get together for church and all that stuff, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, in other words, you got to check your motives, okay? You got to check your motives before you start putting up boundaries. Make sure that if you're a Jesus follower, you need to make sure Jesus is a part of that situation, okay? And it's a great way to just check your motives. So, when you all get together, Jesus is present, okay, you are to hand, get this, you are to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. It's like, tense. It's Kind of like, in fact, in the Greek, it's almost like saying, um, in the original language, it's almost like saying, this man, you need to meet your new parole officer, Satan, you know, <laughs> like, whoa, Again, we find ourselves saying, but Paul, it feels so harsh. But Paul's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Because sin, missing the mark with God, missing the mark with God's children, the people who live around you, who, who are your neighbors, missing the mark with God, which is what sin is, costs something. Maybe you grew up in church and you're familiar with the, the phrase, the wages of sin is death. See, when we sin, when we sin or others around us sin, life goes away. You can almost feel it. If you think about it, when, when you think, I think there may be some sin happening, you just, just assess the situation and I bet you will feel as though life of joy and peace and mercy and forgiveness and grace has just kind of left the building. It goes away. Bad blood is not life-giving. Make Satan his keeper. So that he will get so far into his sin, he will get so beat up and so exhausted by the cost on his personal self, on his being, on his soul for his decisions. He will beg for something different. He will get to a point in his life where he's like, I'm tired of living this way. There has to be something different. It's just, it's too much. And he will beg for life again. And you have seen this in people's lives who hit rock bottom and they're finally willing, they finally open up their hearts and their minds to something else. See, this isn't malicious. Paul's not doing this with malicious intent. Here's what he says to finish this up. He says, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. I'm not saying I can't help. I'm just saying I'm not going to help because this is not acceptable. And I have to put up a boundary because I myself cannot take on the burden of this man's decisions. It is not my responsibility to take on the consequences of this man's decisions. Therefore, I will establish a boundary. Parents, have you ever looked at your kids and said, I told you so? Probably not the best thing to say, but there's certainly internally you've said that, right? When they're going to do something really bad or that they could get injured doing, you know, and you sit there and you say I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that, and you know they're going to do that, right? And then they do it and then they get hurt and then they come back to you and you say I told you so. I I told you you should should have listened to me in the first place. What happens there? Why do you say I don't want you to do that. You shouldn't do that. What are you doing? You're creating a boundary. And no one has ever looked at you as a parent and said, wow, that is a terrible parenting methodology. No, you should totally let your kids, like, swing and try to flip off and do crazy things and things that they're going to break their neck. That's a great idea. No parent has ever said that. You set boundaries. And no one's ever said that you're foolish for doing so. So why not set boundaries... In certain areas of your life where you never have before. Where people you feel like are stealing from you. Where you're not able to continue and you know you should say something but you haven't. And it's just building resentment and bad blood up in your life. Boundaries re- begin. Boundaries begin when you install the door. And not a second before. Boundaries begin when you install the door. This is the key to today. And the reason this is the key is because we don't do it very well. And this is the key because most of us fall short when it comes to this point. We either set boundaries in an unhealthy or rude way, or we just don't set them at all. And I'm saying we could do this in a better way. No one is going to do this for you. Remember, it's your responsibility. When you say, I'm frustrated, I'm resentful, I'm bitter, don't blame others first. Insofar as it depends on who... You live at peace with everyone, and that may be installing some doors. Now, it is tempted, it is tempting for us to make it about others. When someone's nagging on us, when someone's causing resentment, and negativity in our life, it is so easy to blame others. But I just want to let you know, and you really got to, you really got to lean into this one. Boundaries are not meant to fix others. Boundaries are not meant to control others, they're not meant to manipulate others, they're not meant to fix others. You know this, and if you don't know it, today after service, go over to your neighbors, prepare to apologize afterwards, but go over to your neighbors and just take a sledgehammer and start taking out one of their walls and say, I'm just putting a door in for you, I'm just putting a boundary in for you. They'd be pissed, right? As would you. If somebody came to your house and did that, that's why when you try to set boundaries for other people, you say, stop doing that, don't do that. They resist a lot of times because it's as if you're walking into their life and setting a boundary up for them and they don't like that and neither would you, would you? The boundary may help someone become a better person, but it's not the goal. Stephanie and I, um, we, we have a problem of uh, talking to one another while we're on our phones. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. Okay, I will have a conversation with her, and she'll be on her phone, or she'll have a conversation, I'll be on my phone, okay? It is not the best way to have a conversation. You can say all day long you're trying to multitask, and you can multitask, but you physically cannot, like studies show you cannot do it, okay? And we, and I especially, have gone out of my way to say, hey, I'd love to talk to you when your phone is put away. Who is that about? Who has the problem? Me. Stephanie doesn't have a problem. Stephanie's fine. She's doing Facebook. She's she's fine. I have the problem. Who's who's having a little bad blood stir up in their heart? Who's who's getting a little resentful? Me. Stephanie's fine. I'm having the bad blood. So who is responsible for setting the boundary? Me. Me. And if you don't, you will fail in that area. You just say, hey, I'm not trying to be mean about it at all. That's not at all. I'd love to talk to you when your phone is put away. I will talk to you when your phone is put away. And then they have the choice of whether or not it's worth it for them to put the phone away. That's up to them. But it's not about fixing them. It's just saying, I can't have a conversation this way. It's a me thing. And you could say, well, that, that seems just a little tad bit selfish, Taylor that's all about you, then I just want you to consider what God did for us. Consider the fact that God said, it is not that I don't love you, because I do love you. It's just you keep sinning. You keep doing these really bad things. And you keep hurting me, and you keep hurting others. And I'm going to set a boundary that says I can't be with someone who does that. Parents, have you ever done that before with your kids? I can't, I can't be around you when you behave like that. Otherwise, God would say, if I am with you when you behave like that, then I'm not me. I'm not God. I'm not holy. I'm not what you really want deep down. You want a rock. You want salvation. You want someone you can trust. You want someone who is unchanging. And you desperately need that in your life. And if I compromise who I am in any way, I will not be who you need me to be when you need me. I will not be a perfect Savior that you so desperately need. Even when I come to earth as Jesus, and I eat with you, and I talk with you, and I teach you, I am not compromising on truth. I am not compromising my value. I'm not compromising the love that I'm showing you. It's a boundary. And when you are willing to change, when you are willing to consider and take responsibility for the consequences of your life, maybe, just maybe, You'll want to have a relationship with me. And when you're ready for a healthy relationship, I would love, love, love to have one with you. But I'm not going to guilt you into doing it. Free choice. Your choice. When you're ready to, I'm ready to receive you. But not before you accept my love. Not before you recognize your sin. Not before. Because otherwise I wouldn't be the God whom you really need me to be. Boundaries begin when you install the door. Boundaries begin when you install the door. My encouragement to you is to write down your boundary. sounds dumb. It's like nobody writes things down, Taylor. What's a pencil? What's a paper? I don't even know what that is. Write it down. It's the best thing you did. You could do. Paul did it. Because before you build something, most people, most people, okay, they get a pencil and paper and they write down and they draw and they sketch out what they're going to do. So they have an image of it and they know how much it's going to cost or they put it in their phone on the computer or something like that, right? You decide on dimensions and specs before you build it. You say this is acceptable and this is not. This is how I'm building the door, why I'm building the door specifically. And you write it down. Because when you do, it sets you up for success in the installation and the operation of said door in your life. Most bad blood can be prevented with a boundary-setting conversation. You kind of know this. It's just a simple, kind, specific conversation. So much bad blood could be prevented if we could have better, better conversations. This is not, I'm making you feel bad. This is not guilting. This is not manipulating. This is, I just can't do this. This is not healthy. I don't appreciate how you're treating them. I don't appreciate how you're treating me. Here's the door. Now, if you think to yourself, well, Taylor, but if I set the boundaries, what if they don't come back? Then just know the relationship wasn't healthy from the beginning, and they were probably someone in your life that was just stealing from you. And Now it's not as easy to steal from you because you have a door up and now they have the responsibility To figure out what they're going to do And you will not have reason to build up resentment Anymore And there will be peace There will be peace and I just I I promise you if you do this over the long term You will sit back and you will say wow This was really healthy and i'm so glad I did and this has created a new Healthier dynamic within this relationship Now, I I get it. Installing boundaries takes practice. You will have to practice. I'd encourage you to start small and work yourself up, okay? But if you sit down, you prepare, you practice, you will have success in setting boundaries. When your coworker comes and you say, oh, could you cover for me again? Hey, I'm not able to help with this. Why? Because it's not my responsibility. This is your job description, not mine. I need to get the job that I need to get done. When your spouse is late, over and over again, this is me, by the way, this is, I'm not saying, okay, this is me, I get it, okay, all right, when they're late, over and over again, sit down and say, honey, I love you, I'm just not going to be late anymore, and so I just want you to know that I'm going to leave at such and such a time, and if you're not ready to go, I will leave you, and you're like, oh, so, that's so harsh, I just, I just really, I just really think that before the divorce comes out of you doing that, they will change, and it's not, you're not doing that to get them to change, you're just setting a boundary and say, I'm just not going to be late, and they're going to say, you know what, I feel bad, because you're right, it is best to be on time, and you're right, I want to be there with you, and I realize you communicated to me clearly, I will be there from now on. You can do this with your kids, and with your spouse, you can say, I am going to phase out my payments to you. We are going to rewrite our budget in a completely different way because right now I'm resentful of how we spend our money. This is not a you thing. This is a me thing. I'm just resentful, and I can't live like that. And so here's, here's the boundaries that I'm going to set. Here's the boundaries I'm going to set. You go to your friend. You say, hey, you know those words you speak to others? I, I, can't, I can't be around that. And So I just want you to know that when you do that, I'm going to leave and then you do, because this is not healthy for me. I'm not going to embarrass you in front of others. I'm just not going to be a part of it, because I can't, because it's creating bad blood. It's creating bad blood. One more thing to think about, especially if you're a Jesus follower, installing boundaries takes practice and prayer. Why not just go to your Father in heaven, who sets perfect boundaries, and ask him for a little help in it? Father in heaven who loves his children so much we're going to sing about that here just at the end. Maybe you go through and read the gospels and see how did Jesus set boundaries? Cuz he was excellent. I mean, he was a master of setting boundaries to prevent bad blood. He loved people, yet he set boundaries. And you pray about that. You pray about that. Don't forget boundaries begin when you install the door, not a second before. They're just not magically going to happen. You have to set the door. I'd encourage you to go home today and read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the whole whole chapter, because I skipped some things. And you'll find out that there's there's some complexities to it. There's some great stuff in it, but there's complexities to it. And you can get it, though. And you can be successful when you install the door. And so that's my prayer for you. As we wrap up this series about bad blood, that you would not only be able to look at things from the other side like we talked about in week one, That you would be able to bring peace into those relationships. You'd own your slice of the pie. You would create a healthy and safe environment for you to have conversations. And you would clearly set kind, compassionate, but realistic and strong boundaries, front doors in your life, so that bad blood wouldn't get out of hand, especially because it's all on you to live at peace with everyone. Let me pray for us. If you would bow your heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for your example. Regardless of who we consider you to be, maybe we we're Christian, maybe we're not Christian, regardless of where we are in our faith journey, that we could at least take you as a model for how we can set boundaries. We can take your son as a healthy model for how we can set boundaries in our life. And Lord, that you would help us in that as we set those boundaries and as we go to you and ask you for help, regardless, again, of where we are in our faith journey, that you would give us the wisdom to do that in a kind and loving way. That doesn't make it about manipulation or control, but it makes it about us putting a front door on our lives. A front door that can be opened And you would help us to open it at the right time. But you would help us to also keep it closed when it needs to be. Lord, bad blood is a thing that we live with day in and day out. So my prayer is that as we move forward in our lives, as we leave here, as we move past this series into other things, that you would help us to not forget and lean in to what it means to as, if it is possible, as far as it depends on us, live at peace with everyone. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's message. My challenge for you is to pull over right now if you're driving, or stop what you're doing, and write down three areas you could install some boundaries in, and then do it. I think you'll be surprised at how, maybe not in the short term, but certainly over the long term, God will honor those steps, and you will see a decrease in bad blood in your life. I hope you've enjoyed this series. It's been great having you. I look forward to you joining us for our next series, Five Ways to Grow Your Faith. We'll see you soon.